All right, so we are continuing our study on angels tonight. So, a little bit of funny story. I was supposed to be preaching on a topic that Matt covered last last week pretty well for me, so I had to uh, course correct at the last minute there. So, with that in mind, because I am terrible at rambling, I'm just going to tell you the bottom line of this message up front. The bottom line of that is God has a purpose and a plan for everything. Nothing God does is by accident. God doesn't do things just because. There is a purpose, there is a plan. As Paul says, God is a God of order, not of chaos. And when we first began this study, Pastor Tony made the statement, and if you, didn't, if you weren't here, you didn't heard it, it runs along this line. We are not studying angels just to gain knowledge, just to fill in some gap in our understanding, just because it sounds like a fun topic. We're doing this for a particular purpose. And so our pursuit of knowledge, even trivial knowledge, is born out of a desire to have a sense of order and control over our lives. Because God is a God of order. And if we are image bearers of God, we also seek order and control. The problem with that is, is sometimes we seek knowledge and order and control for ourselves. Not for God's glory, but for our own. And for me, this has always been a struggle. I have spent more than the better part of my life in academia. I have been formally educated quite a lot. Let's see, I started kindergarten in 1988, and I, the first time... First semester of schooling, I did not take a class, was in 2015. I have been in school longer than I have done anything else. And, you know, I get people talk to me a lot. People, a lot of people make the comments like, oh, I wish I could just live in your head for a minute, just get some of that stuff that bounces around and up here. And my usual response to such an inquiry is, no, you really don't. It's kind of a weird, goofy, dark place sometimes, honestly. Um, and honestly, my pursuit of knowledge didn't really bring me anywhere. You know, I just amassed knowledge. I amassed information just for, the, just for the heck of it, pretty much, just for my own edification. I studied and went to school, justified it to myself to teach, to educate other people, to move forward, but ultimately it was just a selfish pursuit of knowing more than anybody else. Such knowledge does not honor God. Such pursuits does, do not honor the Lord. God has since really rebuked me of that, and I'm working on that, and I can now turn around and use what I've learned to help other people. But again... Knowledge for knowledge's sake is not useful. So when we do studies like this, it's for a purpose. And so the first purpose I want to talk about is the universe has an order to it. God created the universe to work a particular way. Sorry, I didn't make the slides. Sometimes I have to check to see where I'm at. I wrote the information, but uh, Kevin was generous enough to actually put them together for me. So at the top of the universe sits God. He has authority over everything. 
this should not be terribly surprising to anyone. If God is who he says he is, and if God is who we say he is, this makes perfect sense. But that's not the end of the story. We also see that the angels, as we are describing in this series, exist below God, but they actually sit above us as mankind. And on your handout, I've got, uh, you'll notice I've got it duly attested. It's Psalm 8, 4, and 5, and it's also Hebrews 2, 6, and 7. So I actually think I preached on this one. I don't know. It was like 30 years ago when we started this Hebrew study, it feels like. So... Um, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Now the psalmist is simply saying, you know, wow, why did you make me at all? You've got these greater beings than me floating around in the heaven. You've got these greater things that exist, so why did you bother with me? How amazing are you, God, that you would look in such a lowly creature? Now, the author of Hebrews, looking backwards through the cross, sees that this not only applies to man, but it's specifically applied to Jesus, who for a time was made lower than angels when he became a man and walked among the earth. And so people come next. And as I just said, Jesus, who was for a time was a man, has the really unique position of being both above and below the angels at different times in history. For the vast majority of time, Jesus existed above the angels because he is God. He existed as God. But for his time here on earth, he was made a little bit lower, made a little bit more like us. And then the rest of creation sits under the authority of man. And we get this from Genesis. When we look at the creation, God said, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so just looking at the basic structure of the universe, there is an order to it. God sits on top. Angels come next, we come next, and then everything else exists below us. Well, it's not just the universe. So that's kind of the macro picture. But from what we can tell, the spiritual world has an order to it as well. Now, I am going to qualify that statement very heavily up front. What we know about the spiritual world, we know from the Bible. However... The Bible is not a textbook on the spiritual world. The Bible is a story of God's salvation, God's creation, and God's redeeming of that salvation from sin, of that creation from sin. So, the Bible is not necessarily interested in giving us a massive thesis on the spiritual realm. So, some stuff we have to come up with on our own. We have to take what the Bible says. We have to make some educated guesses. And honestly, if you've done any research on the spiritual world, if you've read any books on angels or anything in the past, you will find there's usually about this much Bible and about this much just whatever we feel like saying. Because we honestly just don't know a whole lot about some of this stuff. 
So that's one reason we're doing this series in the first place, is to just try to answer as many questions as we can from a biblical foundation. So we see that there are several layers of beings created in the spiritual realm. The first one we have are the cherubim. And this is where one of those kind of speculative things comes in. Uh, pretty much everybody agrees on this statement, but again, this is just kind of what we can tease out of Scripture on the subject. So the cherubim appear to be the highest order of angels. And I put angels in quotes, and I'll get back to that in a sec. Because they're never seen leaving God's presence to deliver messages. Now, why do I have angel in quote when I'm talking about angelic beings? Well, the answer is because the word angel means messenger. It's a Greek word, just angelos. That's what it means. So the pedantic scholar I am, I can't let go of some of my weird nerd tendencies, so I have to put angel in quotes here because they never actually deliver messages. They kind of sit around God the whole time. And these have a very specific purpose. But I'll get to that in a sec because this is not where I'm at. <laughs> Terrible appear so otherworldly that when Scripture tries to describe them, it's almost impossible. And I put in your handout a selection of passages from Ezekiel 1 because Ezekiel does come across some of these beings. And, yeah, human words just do not describe this. So Ezekiel does his best. And this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but they had four faces. Okay. Well, we started off okay and then kind of took a left real quick there. Each of them had four wings. Okay, angels have wings. Uh, their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. <clears throat> All right. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. Okay, so they, get, they got good tans, got that. Under the wings of the four sides, they had human hands. Okay, back to good, good explanations. And I'll skip a little bit down to verse 10. And as for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. Okay, tracking this pretty well. Uh, the four had the face of a lion on the right side, the face of an ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. So let me get this straight. They've got four faces facing four different directions. The four of them have different appearances. They have straight feet, but they've got calves' feet. Uh, yeah. Anyone have any idea what that looks like? Because I would more than be happy to talk to you. I'm really curious. And so we've got the cherubim from what we can see at the top. We've got the seraphim just below them. And then scripture gives us a couple of special cases. So we have two named angels in all of scripture. We have Michael and Gabriel. And that's been up there a minute, so I hope you have that written down here so far. So the first one we're going to talk about is Michael the archangel. And his name means... Come, okay. Who is like God? Or if you want to put it in the more normal terms, who is 
close to God? Who is worthy of God? Who can say they are close or near to God? Now, Michael has always been an interesting case for me because, well, probably not a lot of people know this. Ray is actually my middle name. Uh, my first name is actually Michael. Now, I'm named after my father, who is also who is Mike. But, hey, my name's in the Bible. That's kind of cool. It's always been kind of an interesting thing to me. So, Michael is also called the Archangel. So, that title implies that he has greater status and authority than most. And we get that from simply the name itself. So angel, pretty easy to tease out there. We've already talked about that a little bit. In front of it, though, we have the prefix arche. Arche means ruler, or first, or beginning. There's about five other words it means. But the general idea is prominence. And you see the word arche a lot in our language, you just don't recognize it. So who is the primary person when it comes to building something? Who is the first person to do anything with a building? The architect, the first builder. That's literally what it means. What's the study of ancient stuff? Archaeology, study of beginnings. If you call something, if something is so indicative of a type, if it is so standard that it is what you think of when you think of something, what's a word for that? Anyone know that? Archetype. Archetype. So in the same way, an archangel should be a prominent, high-ranked angel. What does that mean? We don't know. He's just described as that, so it must mean something. What we do know, though, is that Michael is described as God's champion. So in Daniel, he is called one of the chief princes. And if you remember our study, or if you go back and look at our study of the spiritual world from a while back, we talk about the spiritual council. This is, he is considered high among that, according to this terminology. In Jeremiah, he is named the guardian of Israel. So, as Israel, so Jeremiah is all about the fall of Jerusalem. It's about Jerusalem getting destroyed. And in that, Michael is considered the guardian of the nation. In Ezekiel, he is in constant battle with Satan. So his job is pretty much to keep Satan as occupied as he can. And finally, in Revelation, John tells us that he will lead God's army against Satan's army. So in the final battle, when everything's said and done, Michael is going to be the one leading that charge. The good news is, we already know how this story ends. How the individual battle is going to play out is irrelevant. The war was won 2,000 years ago. Amen. Amen? The other angel we see named specifically in the Bible is Gabriel. And his name means mighty one of God. I don't have a fourth name, Gabe, so I'm not going to go into a sidebar on that on this one. 
So Gabriel is interesting, because whereas Michael is always shown as God's champion, his mighty warrior, Gabriel is God's uh, name speaker. Because he speaks to people, his, descri- his appearance is often described as just a really powerful and awesome man. And so in Daniel, when Daniel encounters him in chapter 10, he gives this description. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. So angels are really tan, guys. That's all I'm getting from this. And the sound of his words sound like a multitude. But ultimately, he still looked like a regular man. And every time we see Gabriel appear, it's when God has to send out a special message about salvation. So again, whereas Gabriel is God's champion, or Michael is God's champion, Gabriel is God's special messenger. So again, when he talks to Daniel, he interpreted many of Daniel's visions. He told him what all the things he was seeing actually meant. Furthermore, when he got the vision of 70 weeks, which we know on this side of the cross to be the coming of Jesus, how many years it would take from Daniel to the coming of the Messiah, it was Gabriel who gave him how to interpret that. Next time we really see Gabriel appear, it's in the New Testament. So in Luke, he's the one who prophesied to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, telling him his son was going to be the forebearer of the Messiah. And when he didn't believe him and didn't know what to make of it, he also is the one who made Zechariah mute until the boy was born. At which point they said, oh, we're we going to call him. And suddenly Zechariah could talk and say, well, okay, I already know his name. His name's John. This crazy angel dude told me that. But most importantly, Gabriel delivered the single greatest message of all time. It was Gabriel who told Mary and Joseph about the coming of Jesus. So it makes sense that these two angels are given names in the Bible. Because every time they appear, something amazing is about to happen. But there's an even greater angel described in the Bible. And that is the angel of the Lord. Sometimes, and we only see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, we see an angel that just does not act like a regular angel. Now, the angel of the Lord has different names depending on who you talk to. It can be the angel of Yahweh, the angel of Jehovah. But angel of the Lord is typically how we describe him. And they all three mean the same thing anyway. So one way the angel of the Lord is very different from other angels is when angels appear because they are so mighty, because they are so magnificent, because they are so different, people often tend to fall on their knees and worship them. And every other angel but the angel of the Lord strictly forbids this. They will be very quick to say, do not worship me, worship God. 
The angel of the Lord allows men to worship him. Huh. That's interesting. We, we see the angel of the Lord is described as the one who spoke to Moses in the burning bush. And when Moses said, who do I say sent me? Yahweh, I am, sent you. It was the angel of the Lord in the burning bush. A little bit before that, when Hagar, the concubine of Abraham, got sent out into the wilderness by Sarah, it was the angel of the Lord that came and comforted her. And when he appeared before Joshua outside of the gates of Jericho, he announced himself as the commander of God's armies. At which point, Joshua said, are you with us or against us? And the angel pretty much said, I'm neither. I'm here to, I'm here to do what I'm here to do. Are you with me? This angel has greater power and authority than any other angel and does things no other angel does because, well, frankly, it's the pre-incarnate Christ. It is the re representation of Jesus before his coming. It is where we see Christ appear in the Old Testament. So this is someone greater and more powerful and more amazing than any other angel because he's not really an angel in the first place. So what do we make of all this? Well, that's a great question. I'm glad I asked it. I've already told you, God has a purpose and a plan for everything. God wants order. God wants stability. God wants everything to go the way it's supposed to go. God created angels and humans for the same purpose. Matt talked about this last week. But it doesn't mean we have, don't have different applications. The purpose of, God, of angels and the purpose of man is to give glory to God. We just have different ways of doing it. And because we're different beings, we have different, we have different approaches to the same purpose. We are different beings. Therefore, no matter what popular culture says, no matter what fun little shows like a, It's a Wonderful Life has to tell us, we don't become angels when we die. And I hope I didn't break anyone's heart there. And if I did, I'm about to mend it back. Because I'll ask the question, why would we want to? As believers, we are co-heirs with Christ. We might be below the angels right now. But one day, standing before God in his glory, we're going to rise so far above them, it's not even funny. We have an option they don't have. 
we have the ability to seek God's salvation. We have the ability to get indwelt with the Holy Spirit and become functionally part of God's family. Why would we want to settle for coach when we live in first class? So that concludes our study of angels proper. Starting next week, we're going to get into the other side. So hope to see you then. I will close us out in prayer. Thank you for coming. So Father God, just uh, go with us out tonight. Take us out. Be with us. Guide us. And just thank you for this orb of protection you've got around us, this spiritual realm that we can't see but is constantly moving and fighting and shaking and influencing us day by day. And with that, just thank you so much for the power of your Son, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, and for the salvation we don't deserve but you saw fit to give us anyway. We ask all this in your name. Amen.